We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film and Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And Mike, yesterday I ran into somebody from uh, from B-Ball Ops, and we were just chatting. And uh, they do this new thing at work where they order lunch for everybody a couple days a week, and then they donate a meal that's uh, requisite to that. And so it's a cool place to kind of bring together people from different departments. And I was like, hey, congratulations on the trade deadline. You guys, I thought you guys did a, a great job. And he was like, man, my head's still spinning. And I was like, that is exactly where I'm at with this team. And I, I went back and looked because I was trying to recall through uh, you know, Lakers history. This is easily the most roster turnover the team has ever had at, the, at a trade deadline. Having this this many new players, usually you have a sense for what your team is at this point. And actually, we did going into the trade deadline. Now, how good it was, right? We, we can uh, debate and what its potential could have been. But they knew how to play together, certainly way better than they did at the beginning of the year. And so as our heads are spinning with this new roster and uh, trying to figure all of that out, I'd love to get your perspective on that, Mike. Just there's a certain level of disorientation that I have with this team that I think that just as a time goes on, it's a little less so and the dust is starting to settle a little bit. So what's been your experience with that? Yeah, my experience, it's, it's funny, I started thinking about it more from a reporting standpoint, I guess, when you said that, because we just spoke to Rob Palenka about basically this, mm -hmm. uh, just the trade deadline and what it was for. And, and I think the the biggest takeaway that people took from it was the whole pre-agency. And that was part of the idea that we've been talking about on LFR is that when you make the, with the Westbrook situation, with how much money he makes, there, there's going to be that kind of turnover that you wouldn't typically see mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, you need several contracts to approximate the one that he has. And then in doing so, they made a couple of other moves around the periphery, um, such as the Mobamba one and a couple of weeks ago, the Rihachimura trade. And it basically has this, you have this short sprint with super high stakes to try and get into the playoffs and then make a run. But then you also have what the roster is going to be next year. And those things couldn't necessarily be separated. So 
I agreed with your take on it that I thought they did a really nice job, but that also, as I think vocalized most by D'Angelo Russell um, after the game in Portland, Pete, I don't know if you got a chance to watch his full Mm -hmm. um, media session, but a lot of what Russell's kind of saying is that I, I don't know, like (laughs) this is new. I don't know who I'm playing with. I don't know what to run with this particular player, how different it's going to be when LeBron gets back. And um, I, you know, sort of off to the side, just said, well, LeBron does fix a lot of these things uh, in just by, just by being LeBron and being on the court. But yeah, it, it's uh, it, you can feel all of that. And so it is chaotic. It is challenging. It is difficult. And it's also, though, I think better than the spot that they would have been in had they not done anything. Yeah, that whole pre-agency idea is, I mean, you couldn't ask for better circumstances. If you wanted to evaluate guys, high stakes basketball, where every game that you're playing matters is a great place to do that, right? You have a much better idea of who's who at the end of this stretch that, you know, going into this summer than beforehand. So that's actually an advantage in that respect. But that whole idea of what D'Angelo was talking about, and a lot of D'Angelo's expertise is in this realm, right? The, I'm going to figure it out and figure out how to set this up. And he's really brilliant at that and has been since he was a teenager. It's part of why he was a number two pick. But for a guy like him in particular, that's that's not dominating with athletic ability, that knowing when to do what, to me, that's part of the whole, like, I actually like the idea of playing D'Lo and AD together so much right now on the front end. Now, we're three games back of the play-in right now, so there are short-term immediate goals that we need to hit. But the best version of what this current team can be involves, I think, a lot of synergy between those two. And so I love that you pointed that out because that's going to be big for him in particular. And then, so where does that leave the team? And it kind of back to what Russell was saying. Against the Pelicans, the, the first thing that's impactful, right, is just if LeBron plays or not. And it sounds like he's going to based on what Darvin Ham said and based on what LeBron's work it is. And then I heard you and Darius talking about how some of the lineups then work. And it's just that we can theorize all that and they haven't even had a practice to do that right stuff. And so that's the part of it that is so you also you mentioned like the all-star break being a good time to try and get some of those those things integrated. But even in the all-star break, you're probably getting a max of two practices. Right. Because uh, everybody goes about their separate ways. And I'm sure a couple of guys will stay in town and maybe they could go in and watch some film. But, you know, really, it's got to be it's got to be with LeBron and AD there, you know, for that to have some sort of a meeting. And then so maybe you get that next Tuesday, next Wednesday ahead of what their first game is. So it's just a it's this this shift amidst what else is going on in the Western Conference, which is something that I'm always keeping the eye on and which of the teams are expecting to do what. But I think that while it's good for people in the front office and certain of the coaches to look at how this is going to work over the final 24, um, it's the biggest thing is really just New Orleans game. And what is this team doing Several of several of the players that are here played in that game in New Orleans and should have some revenge on the mind. But like this, Pete is not a game that they can lose uh, going into the All Star break, and and if they want to feel any kind of good about what their chances are going to look like, it, it's certainly not. And that that pull between the trying to figure out what's going on and the immediacy of tonight is really going to be the battle that we fight for the rest of the season. And so what's the smartest way to move forward under such circumstances, right? Like what's the best way to get the best out of the now? And forgive me, I'm going to extend it a little beyond tonight. What I mean, the right now, I mean, the last 24 games of this season versus the future. And I think there's a good argument to be, there's a good argument to be made for 
keeping as much as you can stable while incorporating other pieces around that. And so the reason I bring that up, Mike, is I've been trying to figure out like what is what on this team. And I've been thinking of D'Lo as a Russ, Russell Westbrook replacement. And in some ways he is, right? He's a lead guard type. But if you look at it from the perspective of the Lakers rotation, it's actually Pat Bev who he replaced. We've, we've talked like, oh, wouldn't it be great to start Austin or anything like that? Here on planet Earth, Dennis has started pretty much every game since the first couple, and he's played 30 minutes a night, and he almost always closes. Like, Dennis is our starting point guard, and that's something that had things gone differently over the course of the season, maybe he wouldn't be, but he, to me, is representative of a certain degree of stability. And so D'Lo then functionally replaces Pat Bev, and they are very different players. In some ways, they're opposite type of players. So what does that mean for the team? And then what does that mean on a night against the New Orleans Pelicans, right? And and then the other guy that came to mind, I think in some ways Vanderbilt replaces Russ. He's got that like juice in transition. There were a couple of plays. I used to get annoyed when Russ would push the ball in transition and then like three guys would walk. It's like, man, run with him. You know, like he's got the ball and he's outpaced a bunch of you. And Vanderbilt's one of those guys too. And that happened a few times that turned into like one on three turnovers. Who does that remind you of in transition, right? That, but he provides a necessary like force and athleticism that I, I know we've talked a lot about the starters versus the bench, but let's start there, Mike, that, that whole idea we're going against the Pelicans tonight. You know, what is, what does that look like? Well, one idea to fast track familiarity would be to just play Russell Beasley in Vanderbilt play those guys together oh, uh, in great. the starting lineup next to LeBron oh. <laughs> and AD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then you have, you know, those guys, Hey, LeBron and AD are the nucleus here, but like Russell's going to have the ball a certain amount. He knows where to find Beasley. Beasley can come off screens. Vanderbilt is just sort of the glue guy uh, that is setting screens and doing stuff. So that's, that's one look. Mm-hmm. And then you might have some continued or some continuity with the second unit too, because it would be guys that have played together some. And so I guess that's Dennis and Austin and Troy Brown, Hachimura, and then either Gabriel or Bamba. And Walker, I guess in this case, would be the odd man out. If you don't do that and you stick with Russell and Schroeder, and then LeBron comes back and it's, I guess it's either Vanderbilt or Hachimura and then AD, you know, then that second unit lacks what Darius was talking about yesterday too, with some of that creation um, and whoever the point guard is to be able to lead that. Right. Now, maybe that changes if LeBron is staggered. It's just there's just so many different variations, Pete, of this, of which I don't think there is an automatic best one, because if you just ask me basketball wise, who, who would be the guys that I would want to see together and say, well, probably Russell Reeves, LeBron, Vanderbilt and AD. But is that does that seem to be likely based on what we've seen so far? And would it leave the bench with the best possible rotation? I, I need to see it for a couple of games, you know. And, and they just don't have that kind of time. So, no, they don't. And so, again, under those circumstances, I think using what you already have, what you already know as foundation points are important. And so to, to that end, we talk a lot about starting lineups, but what, are, what is our best LeBron group? What's our best AD group? What's our best D'Lo group, right? And the way that Darwin's done it up to, until now has been to have both LeBron and AD off the court for certain stretches. Do you still do that? Do you have one on, on the court at all times? If both of them are off, then that's probably a D-Lo group, right? And so that to me, I guess, of the new guys, let's start with Vanderbilt. Do you see him more as a LeBron group guy or an AD group guy? Well, if it's got to be between the two, 
and obviously LeBron and AD spend a lot of on the court time on the court together. I would probably veer more towards LeBron. Uh, and now, on the one hand, he doesn't provide the spacing that's that I think is sometimes talked about almost too much mm-hmm. with LeBron, but he does provide the energy and the ballast and the rebounding and. Uh, and I think that there's some IQ stuff with Vanderbilt too, and some push stuff that would help with LeBron. Plus, then you're you're spreading out some of the defensive capabilities uh, between him and AD. But I also like him as a kind of a force multiplier next to AD. But to answer your question simply, I'll say I'll say LeBron. I agree with that. And one of the things that you had mentioned on a pod a while back when uh, we still had TB, and I was asking how's how's this going to work in the playoffs, you were like, "Well, it's probably LeBron at the five in the playoffs." And I was like, "Yeah, that can definitely work." But he needs a certain type of forward next to him that has a presence on the boards, a physicality, a presence, you know, above the rim to a degree. Vanderbilt is does a bunch of different things. And so I don't think he's a specialist in any one of those, but I think that's a really good thing in a LeBron group. And so these to me, like our starters are actually more set than I think people realize again with the, the Dennis thing. Um, but these groups, like what does a LeBron group look like now? What does an AD group look like now? I think becomes really important. And so to kind of continue that thought exercise, Malik Beasley saw him knock down some threes in garbage time. Hopefully that got the lid off for him. How do you see him in that context? Well, Beasley in what his skill set is, it, this is an offense defense issue in, in some ways. And offensively, that's kind of why I mentioned that starting lineup thought of if it's Russell who knows how to play Beasley or play with Beasley and, and sort of get him in certain looks where he can get open shots. Well, LeBron is always going to be able to find that guy mm-hmm. um, if he's out there as the spacer. Can you get by defensively? And that's part of the other reason why I thought, well, maybe Vanderbilt would built in would build into that unit next to AD. The bench unit, I'm not as sure about if that's the case, but I do think that that would be effective offensively um, to have Russell and Beasley on the perimeter and then with LeBron in there and having actually both of those shooters Vanderbilt sort of in the dunker spot and then like teams are still going to pack the paint there. But you mentioned something in your pod yesterday where if they're going to pack the paint against that unit, like that's that's where you just run some actions for Beasley or Russell Mm -hmm. and say, fine, and take some threes over the top of it. Yep. Um, And then if they want to adjust to that, then you can attack the rim in, in different ways. Beasley to me coming off the bench, it's fine. It's just such a more it's such more of a if he's hitting the shots on a certain night then Mm -hmm. great then that helps you off the bench and if he's not then what are you getting and and at that point you know where is the rotation really and and who in that second unit is going to be able to help him get those looks so that it's not just him taking some step back sidestep threes which ended up working (laughs) essentially in portland but it's not is not really where you want it to be and i didn't think worked well in just the second unit groups that we saw in portland either yeah i think we have to be very um aware of the defensive talent that we have on the floor at a given time, especially at the guard spot, because I think that we can be, especially, uh, uh, I think that we can be vulnerable now with trading Bev and Russ. We've just lost some of our perimeter defensive talent and Vanderbilt and watching him more. He's, he's a big with versatility. He's like a big with guard skills, but he's definitely a big, do you agree with that? Yeah. 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 So he reminds me so much of Lamar in ways and I remember this same debate in like, should you start Lamar, Bynum, and 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 Powell all in the same group? And Phil never did that. And I remember being younger, being like, 
ah, I want to see those together. But in retrospect, that like that guy that has a big physical presence but can operate in the open court off of the, the bench, I think it's very similar, not the same quality of players, but I think it's a very similar dilemma with him. Man, I found myself pushing back on the Lamar comp, partly just out of deference to Lamar. And I know what you're saying in terms of the body type and the the, the handle and the lefty spin, but Lamar was like a point guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In no, some no, ways, I, in that type of body, you know? I, and this so he really ends. had the full yes. guard skills. Yes, yes. You know, Vanderbilt to me is like a very clear motor energy guy that probably has a few more skills than you think. But, you know, not to the level of where you could have him be running your offense and like be the actual sixth man. Right. You know, he's he's more slotted to me as a like you could you could start him. But is he is he best as kind of that the proverbial Swiss Army knife and Mm -hmm. and to fit him in in different contexts? But I still don't have a good answer like that I want if you. So if you just putting you on the spot, would you rather start Vanderbilt or would you rather bring him off the bench and sort of balance some of the units off? I would rather bring him off of the bench, but I mean that as a compliment to him, like. In the short version is I think you need to cover for Rui more than you need to cover for Vanderbilt, whereas Vanderbilt can be kind of a defensive hub. And talking about it from the idea of like a LeBron group, AD group, if you've got LeBron and Vanderbilt at your four and five, you're good. Like that's the basis of a good unit. I actually would love to see Beasley with LeBron. That's one of the reasons I brought uh, brought him up is that kind of shooter that can – defenses are have been so – collapsed into the paint against us to a really exaggerated degree that if you do that with LeBron as the trigger man and Beasley as the finisher, as the three-point shooter, you know, relocating, sliding to the right spot, he's going to get volume up against that and can knock those down in a way that LeBron's always worked well off of that kind of guy. And so then I like Troy Brown has been really good next to LeBron this year. He's a a big, you know, LeBron unit candidate. So I don't know, having LeBron back, I guess, is the exciting part about tonight. So let's take a break. And when we come back, let's talk more about tonight's game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, let's start with the injury report. Where do we stand? Well, injury report should be pretty good. It's LeBron is the major question mark. But if he plays, then, you know, I, I think that pretty much gives you the full rotation. When was last time that available? happened? There were a, a couple of games. I think LeBron's... Yeah, a couple of games ago, but that was also amidst all of the trade frenzy. But yeah, they have been once Austin and Lonnie Walker got back, 
Um, they've been, it's really just been LeBron that's been mm. the larger question mark. And to tie that into tonight's game and also bring in the last question that you answered about, about starting and if Vanderbilt comes off the bench. So then are you, are you then starting, um, are you then starting Brown or are you starting Hachimura next to LeBron? So that's a, that's a great question that I think I start Brown because there are two roles, basically, defensively. A lot of times when we talk about positions, we're talking about the offensive end. But let's flip that coin to the defensive end. And what positions do guys play? Other teams usually have a guy that's the main guy that handles the ball on offense. And then they have another guy that they run around screens. So if we're just talking about guard defense, it's basically your ball pressure guy. And then a guy that's to chase that two guard type around. This is overly simplified, right? There, But that just in... Uh, in a basic in a basic way that's what it is and so Dennis is our ball pressure guy now I think we saw some of the weaknesses of that against Dame but Dennis is pretty good at that he can guard ones and be a general irritant that's up in a guy's jersey in trading Pat Bev we don't really have like D'Lo can do that and he's we'll talk more about D'Lo but uh he's more of a of an intelligent defender. Like he knows where to be when he's locked in and, and focused. Like he understands how everything works in a way where he's helpful, but he's not like a guy that's going to win a ton of those. Although I thought he did a great job on clay. And so it's really going to depend on the team that you play, whether Troy, who's good at that too, is a guy, the guy to go with or whether it's Rui, but then you could come to that whole argument of, is it smart to go change in your starting lineup from night to night based on the other team anyway. And so I don't know. I'll ask you that, Mike, where do you stand, uh, stand on, on that same question? Well, I guess the problem, if you start, if you don't start Rui or Vanderbilt, then I don't know how you can play both of them and like off the bench and then also play Bamba and or Gabriel. And so one of those sure. guys ends up being the odd man out and you're playing smaller um, if you're that group. And then you're also smaller defensively in the starting lineup. And right. although Brown is a good rebounder, mm -hmm. but I'm just trying to I'm trying to veer towards this is the separation maybe of what the lineups that I've been looking towards and what we've seen on the court and right. big versus small thing all year. And like I if I in terms of which player has had a better year and just can do more things, I would take Brown over Hashimura. But mm -hmm. in terms of what you get with the size and then what LeBron and mm -hmm. AD need. It's like the idea of Hashimura, but really that's Vanderbilt in terms of the like the actual size and defense and energy. And that's where I, I struggle to, to come up with the right mix. So one thing I've liked, though, about Rui, just to, to counter that, is he's had a few possessions. And I think this is really the best usage and version of him where against Golden State, for example, he's got like he's got Jordan Poole on him. Absolutely give him the ball. You know, and he's going to be able to knock that down. Also, I think that there's potential for chemistry between D'Lo and Rui in terms of they're both very rhythm type of players. And that's something that I think is going to be a topic we talk more about in terms of just guys getting into a rhythm. This reminds me of the beginning of this season where we just couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a shot. And then this guy's kind of got a feel for the for how the team goes. Um, so Rui, like 
had we not been starting Rui already for two, three weeks, I'd be a little more, I think, flexible on this point. But it's like Rui's fine. It, he serves a purpose in this starting lineup. I actually think that there's potential there with him and a couple of other guys in that if you create the advantage for Rui, he's going to make good shots and he's going to make some tough shots too, right? The finishing around the rim can be a little bit rough, but I do think that there's just a level of size and athleticism with the overall group that makes that work. So let's bring that to tonight, though, Mike. What are the challenges that we face against this Pelicans team? Well, Brandon Ingram was, I thought, the difference maker in just hitting a million mid-range jumpers over the top of contests. And that's kind of the one shot that's always going to be available to any NBA player given the way the teams play now. And he's one of those guys, you know, like Kevin Durant, uh, light Durant would be the best at this. And mm-hmm. honestly, in terms of you're just talking about Hachimura, Hachimura is up there. <laughs> and so he just, he has a smaller sample size, sure. but he is a guy he will, who will dot mid range jumpers over you. Um, that's how Kawhi likes to play and Marcus Morris and sometimes Paul George. But so he's Ingram is the guy that, that does that really well. And then, you know, I just think though that new Orleans to me, takes a big mental hit when Zion gets re-injured because when a guy when when a guy is working his way back and this happened with Anthony Davis and you can sort of all right we got to get through another week or two and then reinforcements are coming and so let's keep the energy high let's keep the belief high when Zion re-aggravated the hamstring strain and we don't even know there isn't really a, a timeline yet to me that has New Orleans looking at where they are in the standings and just not feeling great about themselves uh, and and so I, to me that plus the Lakers having given up a lead. This is one of those just games that happen in the NBA, no matter what the personnel is. The Lakers are just coming off the loss in Portland. The Lakers really, really needing a win, even more so than the Pelicans going to the break, that that I'm going to kick it back to you for the specifics on kind of how they should beat uh, the Pelicans. But just from an energy standpoint, to me, this is kind of like the way that they played against the Warriors. Um, they just need to just play harder and be more physical, um, go to the rim more, against a team without great rim protection and and sort of try to settle it that way. Yeah, that was a frustrating loss that game in New Orleans because we left our we let our foot off the gas pretty significantly. I think we gave up 42 points in that third quarter and uh it was just a lot of the 5 0 run at the end was was just brutal. It, it was, and, but and I felt like level. we over yeah. like I felt like we talked about it. They had already too they much. had already taken yeah, they had already been they, it was already not good enough, but but they would have been up at a at a bare minimum five in, 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 in like or I, I guess six I should say. Mm-hmm. And had they just not completely screwed up the coverage on McCollum. Yes. Um, at least contested a shot there. So you're right, but take away take away the uh, that last couple minutes of complete in, inaction and Gabriel throwing the inbound. Yeah. The, anyway. Right. No, those are the types of things. And we've been doing that sort of thing all year. Um, and hopefully that's something that, that improves. But yeah, frustrating loss for sure. And I've been, <laughs> you know, when you have somewhere to go, and it's like, oh, I got to be there by 10 o'clock. At some point, your internal clock starts going like, hey, we really kind of got to get moving out the door by 920 or whatever, however long it takes you to get to your destination. I felt like my internal clock in watching the standings has been in a different place than the team's has been. So I agree with you that we like really, really need this win. But I've felt that about like the last five games that were, you know, not like games like Portland, you know, guy gets on fire. We needed to win that game, but I'm talking about some of the other ones where we just left our, let our foot off the gas. I haven't seen that from the team yet, Mike. So like, I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I just haven't seen that level of urgency yet. I 
won't disagree. Um, I th- I think that it was mostly there in the Golden State game, and part of that was just I think the new energy provided mm-hmm. with Russell and Vanderbilt coming in, and even Beasley, um, who couldn't get a shot to fall. But this goes back to as we often talk about Anthony Davis and after games, he's been one of the ones that's been saying that the team has to sit, has to have a certain level of energy. But I think for AD himself, it, man, so much of it is mental for him, but his mental is very tied to his physical. Mm-hmm. And when he feels like he's in a good rhythm and he feels like he's got his legs under him, then his, his whole game rises and he doesn't seem to have that, the type of switch where it's mm-hmm. I'm just going to go get this one with energy tonight. Although he will do that on the defensive end sometimes. And then I think not get enough credit for it. Yes. Um, right. Where, so because he's so damn good and he's so damn talented that when he's having a game where he's not as aggressive on offense and he's, you know, kind of taking some, he's taking his time and he's looking up at the defense and eventually he's taking the baseline fadeaway jumper or something. And you're thinking, well, I know that he can take this guy off the dribble and get to the rim, you know, but then on the other end, more often than not, he is providing like sort of full defensive capabilities. And it's why he's one of the more the more difficult guys to to put into a ranking spot where you're wanting to put him in the top five on certain nights. And then other nights, it's not always there at that same level. And that is a difference between him and, say, Giannis or, you know, peak and prime LeBron. And it's it's just it's just a reality. So what which Anthony Davis do the Lakers get for sure um, against New Orleans tonight? I think this is the type of game where where you get the the focus and the locked in and the aggressive AD, the one that did not finish that well and did not play that uh, as well as he could against New Orleans um, in the previous game and the one who did not have his most efficient road trip. So that to me almost alone, like if he's putting that type of pressure well, okay, let me rewind a little bit because he was kicking uh, Valencia Yunus's ass um, in New Orleans for a good portion of that game mm-hmm. on the offensive side. He mm-hmm. was getting everything to go. And then in the fourth quarter, things seemed to sort of slip for the whole team. But yeah, th- that to me, Pete, that's a good starting point. It's just that when LeBron is also coming back from an absence, then what is he going to do for me? You, I, we're just looking at each other in this. We in are the, you're just shaking our heads. You're just like. Yeah, just all of these things, right, are <laughs> represent the absolute minimal amount of 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 cohesiveness that yeah. you can have in an NBA season at this point, and it's just not ideal. It's it's not. It's one of those things where it's we're like looking at the ingredients, and it's like, hey, this could be good, but uh, yeah, we don't have a ton of time to get there. And we've talked about this a ton this year, but the first game after LeBron's come back, pretty much every time after he's missed a game or two, he's been out of rhythm. And and very obviously not the guy that he was that he'll be a couple games later. So this is where I, I, now I'm trying to I'm going to have you put the coach Pete hat on for a second. So on the board, the last couple of games has been energy, effort, urgency. And I think that that's Darvin Ham's way of saying, I get it, guys. We're not going to we're not going to be the most cohesive in terms of lineup. How could we be? But if you you have if you play with a certain level of intensity just for these games and I, I promise we'll get to the. Well, things will get more organized as the team like builds game by game. But within that context, what are some of the basketball things that like the organizational type things that certainly LeBron will deliver some himself by being out there? But what are some of the staples that they can try and go to um, as they as they and not have it be just, hey, go play harder than the other team? I think 
simplicity is your friend right now. And this is actually one of the benefits of this offense is as guy. this is like what D'Lo was talking about, about like, how do I interact with this other guy? It's more him and AD figuring each other out than the offense per se, right? And so the the nature of a four-out offense, especially this style, is to create an environment for pick-and-roll players to be able to maximize the space that they have to work with, have good shooters around them, which that's always been the missing part of the offense coming up to now is we've talked a ton about the drivers and how the Lakers have this paint-assault offense, and that's certainly been the case. The other element of of that when the offense is fully realized is you got guys who can just fling it, right? And that's why Matt Ryan and Cole Swider have been guys that that we've signed is that stylistically, you know, you see it in a Pat Connaughton, uh, you got a Desmond Bain in Memphis that there's a shooter package, there's a shooter version to the offense that we just never really had the shooters to unlock. And so th- that, like, that... um that trio you were talking about of D'Lo, Vanderbilt, and Beasley, they they had a play, a give and go Beasley and Vanderbilt did in the last game that was like, oh yeah, those dudes have played together for a little while. And so even if it's wherever you can find that, I think is another way to do it. But the whole keep it simple, stupid, I really think should be a motto for this team. Yep. That's a, that's a good way to, that's a good way to frame it. And I do, th- I do also just to state what is somewhat obvious, but okay. So LeBron, You've been watching now. You've been watching what Russell does. So you've been watching what mm. Vanderbilt does. You've mm-hmm. been watching what Beasley does. Like, what, what do you think? You know, let's, let's actually use the supercomputer here, you know, and let's kind of, and I, you don't even necessarily need to talk about it because he'll just sort of make those computations on the court. But I, that to me, Pete, is the thing that I'm watching first, that whoever you put out there with him, LeBron, he just has this unique mix of, obviously the skill set in the brain, but then the the kind of gravitas where the new players that are coming in are going to be automatically deferential. And he's going to say some of the stuff like, Hey, we want you to be aggressive. You know, don't, don't fit in, fit out all that, but it still does need to come within that, that sphere of influence mm-hmm. that he's going to have. So how, how is LeBron wanting to handle those actions? Does he want Russell to, to operate out of screen roll early with AD or, does LeBron want the basketball and have Russell sitting in the corner? What is that balance? And some, if, if you ask LeBron after the game, he'll, t- he'll typically just say, well, I'll, I'll do what the defense dictates. But of course it's not that simple either. Right? Like he, he sometimes can, the defense can try to dictate something to him and he'll just say, no, I, I'm going to, I'm well, going to go do this other thing. In, in some ways he's like, I'll do, when he says, I'll do what the defense dictates. He's like, I'll defeat you. However way you want to, guard me, right? Like I know the answer to the question that you're posing. And so what's cool about the D'Lo LeBron combo or what I'm excited about is that they have the option to do either. Either guy can be an on-ball or off-ball player. Either guy can be in the slot or in the corner and operate off of different actions that our other personnel just you didn't have that level of versatility. So they're going to be sometimes, and I think this is an this is a level where LeBron and D'Lo can really click that whole supercomputer LeBron idea, like D'Lo is very smart and really knows kind of how the sequence of basketball works, that I think they can be very clever together in ways that create open shots. And I I alluded to this, but Russell just did tell me specifically that he's looking forward to some of the actions where it is LeBron having sort of having the ball initiating and he's on the weak side. And he said the corner, of course, that could be above the break too. It, it could be whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's, you know, 
there was some attention when he did his original presser and he said, well, I try to look at myself as an alpha two on the court, but that wasn't the first thing that he said. That was like the 25th thing that he said. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, I think that in, of course, all NBA players have to have a certain amount of that confidence, but I do think that he's looking forward to, um, to, to not having to come in as anybody would right here. Hey, new situation, D'Angelo Russell. Can you just figure this whole thing out right. for us? <laughs> yes. Like he's sort of had to do in Golden State. And oh, by the way, the team needs to win all these games. Yeah. And, and if they oh, don't, by the way, you're like, the jerk. Yeah. Yeah. And all, the fan base is like super, you know, it, it's the Lakers fan base. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. He knows this what year. he's getting into. If nothing else, there's an advantage there. He's not going to be surprised. Well, no, but, but that's my that's the point, though, is that since he knows what he's getting into, though, that creates a certain amount of pressure that somebody mm-hmm. might not fully get and can come in and sort of just play a little bit loose and play free. Like he can't do that because he knows how significant mm-hmm. um, it is. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me again is where if, if you're listening to him after the games, just, you know, you and I who do nothing but cover this team day to day are, have already talked ourselves into like six different lineups <laughs> right. um, and rotations because there isn't, a, there isn't a super clear, obvious one that works both ways on both ends of the court and is at any experience together. And, that to me is the part of LeBron coming back where like the leader, the actual leader, yeah. AD is a leader of the team, but he's not a leader in like any big man um, like Dirk Nowitzki. I'm just trying to think of somebody who was with one franchise for the whole time. Dirk was like a leader in some ways, but he wasn't the one who who just got onto the court and you gave the basketball to and you dictated the whole thing. Like LeBron does do that. And, yeah. and that to me is uh, is the place to start in this New Orleans game. Let him get back. Let him sort things out on the floor for you. And and have some of these guys play off him and just and use use one of the guys that's best at doing this um, in NBA history. Yeah, very excited to see what that looks like and with no time to spare for sure. So last game before the All-Star break, we will be back tomorrow to discuss how it went. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around like, for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers.
the Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.